Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will touch on how the emerging markets have been feeling the impact of rising U.S. interest rates, along with a look at some political developments and current allocation views. Uh, joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to the podcast Alejo Zeranko, a Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Alejo, good morning to you. Great to have you back on the podcast with us and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. It's always great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Alejo, I know over the past month or so, I've been having many conversations with your colleagues about the rise we've been seeing in U.S. rates, the impact that's been having on the markets here, domestically speaking. So, I'm curious to get some views in terms of the extent of the impact felt within the emerging markets. So, I know this year, sharp adjustment in U.S. interest rates has been top of mind for investors. How exactly, Alejo, has this affected emerging market assets? Absolutely, Then Look, uh, the repricing of the U.S. Treasury curve this year has indeed been one for the books. Long-term interest rates adjusted much more forcefully than short-term ones, in turn hurting long-duration assets in a similarly outsized manner. By the way, by long-duration assets, I mean those offering cash flows, on average, further out into the future. Now, within emerging markets, this has played out via the outperformance of value stocks over their growth-oriented peers and of high-yield bonds over investment-grade bonds, which have longer duration than uh, the, the former overall. Now, interestingly, while emerging market risk premiums, meaning the compensation on top of risk-free U.S. interest rates that investors require to hold emerging market assets, have experienced increased volatility in recent weeks, they have held ground fairly well overall. Emerging market credit spreads, for instance, stand virtually unchanged today relative to the beginning of the year, and currencies from the emerging world on aggregate are down just 2% against the U.S. dollar. This all makes us confident that emerging market assets will resume their upward trend once U.S. Treasury volatility comes down, which is something that we might already be experiencing as of the last couple of days. Once the global economy picks up steam and the pandemic ebbs away, as we expect, in a baseline scenario. We have been arguing for some time that emerging markets' relatively low reliance on external financing, given their much improved current account positions in recent quarters, makes them a lot able, a lot better able to digest a higher U.S. interest rate environment. So, Alejo, now that we have that backdrop, and thank you for walking us through that, the question becomes on the minds of investors, well, how do I position emerging markets in this environment? What kind of guidance can you provide us there? We're still quite constructive on emerging market equities. Uh, We believe the asset class will be able to provide superior earnings growth outlook uh, this year. We're expecting... Uh, an improvement in in earnings vis-a-vis last year of over 30% for the emerging world overall. And therefore, we maintain the asset class as most preferred in our portfolios. Within emerging market equities, we think value stocks should continue to outperform growth stocks with financials and energy 
becoming the likely leaders in the ongoing sector rotation process that we've been we've been experiencing. At the same time, time Dan, I think the last few weeks served as a good reminder that holding concentrated positions within the emerging markets is risky and that any country-specific exposure should be appropriately sized in portfolios. Recent political developments in Brazil and Turkey, for example, triggered sharp V-ratings across asset classes in both countries, while at the same time, emerging markets overall remained quite resilient. Looking ahead, it is likely we see increased political noise in emerging markets, making well-diversified exposure to be even more desirable than concentrated country-specific bets. Take Latin America, for instance. Over the next year and a half, Latin America will be home to an electoral super cycle in which the population will have the opportunity to vote on almost everything but the colors of their country's flags. Elections will be taking place in Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Mexico, Argentina this year, followed by Colombia and Brazil next year, just to give you some idea of that. So, Alejo, that's a very important point you brought up, being mindful of the risk involved with holding concentrated positions in EM assets. So maybe we can run with that a bit further and dive a bit deeper into the outlook for Latin America. So Alejo, can you expand a bit on the backdrop against which these elections you describe will be taking place? Absolutely. Look, the, the backdrop is, uh, is poor indeed. Um, we see an environment in Latin America of depressed economic conditions, and generalized social discontent, one that is ripe for populist leaders and radical policy proposals, both from the left and from the right of the political spectrum, to thrive. Latin America had been experiencing a gradual yet increasingly visible worsening of its economic dynamics even before COVID hit. In the five years pre-COVID, that is from 2015, to 2019, Latin America exhibited an annual GDP growth rate of just 0.1%, well below those uh, in offer by other emerging markets and many developed markets. During that period, Latin America suffered an increase in unemployment, an increase in poverty, and understandably, uh, citizens in several countries have begun to express their discontent with the political system through widespread protests. Against this fragile socioeconomic backdrop, the pandemic hit the region quite hard. Think about it. We've got Latin America with 8.5% of the global population, but 20% of all global COVID-19 cases and almost 30% of all global COVID-19 deaths. This induced a severe recession in the region, which at the same time worsened living conditions when increases in unemployment, poverty, informality, and inequality. The silver lining uh, in this environment, Dan, is that the external backdrop that Latin America faces remains quite constructive. The global economy continues to recuperate, helped by ample fiscal and monetary stimulus. Effective vaccination plans are being adopted globally, we're seeing a reopening of many economies. And all of this is translating into widespread availability of liquidity and higher commodity prices for Latin America, which will help drive 
the region's cyclical recovery. So it's an interesting dynamic, Alejo, as you explained it for us. Clearly, if you look at Latin America, there is no shortage of internal challenges, complications, as you walked us through. However, as you pointed out, the external environment remains constructive. So to that point, Alejo, is there a way or are there ways that Latin America could take advantage of a good external environment? I think the region will benefit in the short term. We're thinking 2021, the cyclical recovery will be supported by the availability of liquidity and, of course, by the persistently high commodity prices that we see uh, in the next few quarters. That said, looking further out, Latin America is doing little to help address its homegrown challenges and take advantage of um, this favorable external environment on a more sustainable basis. Uh, the region's political leaders are hanging on to ideologies and policies that have already been tried and tested in the past and have failed to deliver results. This includes a general distrust of the private sector, uh, uh, of, of the public sector vis-a-vis the private sector, increased fiscal spending, skewed towards current transfers over investment spending, an increase in tax pressure on an often overburdened private sector, and a consistent focus on resource extraction industries at a time when much of the world is planning for a greener future. So all in, then I'd say um, cyclically, yes, the global environment will help Latin America. Structurally, the region needs to do its own homework to uh, take advantage uh, of this on a more sustainable basis. So Alejo, as we begin to close out to bring this all home and tie this all into an investment portfolio, what are the investment implications of everything that you've shared with us? Thinking about uh, the conversation on Latin America, right, and uh, how to allocate within regions in the emerging world, the reality is Latin America's pandemic recovery will trail that of most developed and emerging market countries. The electoral super cycle will inject further uncertainty into the region's outlook. And um, even though, you know, we do see a number of world-class companies operating in the region, their valuations are often unduly punished because they're located in, quote-unquote, problematic zip, zip codes. Uh, and, and we do find specific fixed income and equity opportunities across Latin American countries. But as we enter this electoral super cycle, it's more important than ever for investors to review their overall exposure to Latin America. We actually think that the post-pandemic world is likely to have shifted further from the West to the East. And with this in mind, We think it's now a good time for investors to take a fresh look at strategic allocations towards Asia. This is where the bulk of the growth and opportunity in the emerging markets will be in coming years. And we think that investors are often under allocated to uh, Asia Pacific, emerging Asia in particular in their portfolios. 
Well, Alejo, very topical and actionable conversation this morning. Thank you for walking our listeners, our clients through your current thinking on the emerging markets and hitting on some notable items, developments to be mindful of, especially within Latin America. So very much looking forward to picking back up again with our conversation next month. Though, thank you again for joining us and for providing your insights this morning. Appreciate it as always, Alejo. Anytime, Don. Thank you. Thank you, Alejo. Again, today we have been joined by Alejo. Zerwanko, Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. So two publications that actually tie right into the conversation Alejo and I have been having this morning. They are investing in emerging markets, holding ground. That publication was authored on March 24th. You also have Investing in Emerging Markets, Latin America's Electoral Supercycle, Investment Implications. Uh, That was authored on March 29th. So again, both publications available for you now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. However, if you are a client of UBS, you can always also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of both publications directly or if you would like to learn more about the topics covered on today's podcast. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.